and welcome to part two of Bite Size Gaming's A Feast of Zines. My name is Troy, and I will be taking you on this tour uh, that features several creators that are taking part in Kickstarter's Zine Quest 3. We took a whole day and rapid fire interviewed 13 creators to get them to dish on uh, their, their creations that they've put up for Zine Quest this year. And for those of you that don't know what ZineQuest is, I'll let you in on it. The creators get to launch a two-week project for a single-color, unbound, folded, stapled, or saddle-stitched RPG zine, and Kickstarter will help them promote it. And I'm pretty sure there is somewhere over 200 zines that will be launching this year. Somebody from Size Gaming, <coughs> Zach, thought it would be uh, pretty cool to highlight a few of the projects that uh, have come across uh, our feeds. So, uh, here we go. First up, we've got Sam Sorensen shining a little light on low life. Uh, have you ever sent your players down into a cave and all the tunnels were like 5 feet wide and 10 feet tall? Yeah, not with low life. This is an OSR D&D rule set for those cramped, dark tunnels that you have to squeeze your way through and hope you don't get stuck with the creepy crawlies that are down there with you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another creator interview with Ak and Troy, your hosts. Uh, we have uh, the illustrious with his Kickstarter life uh, coming to us on uh, zine format. It's already launched, and we're excited to get to chat with you. Sam, you having a good Monday? Yeah, you know, not so bad. Being up 600% from my goal. It's a good place to be. <laughs> good oh, place man. To be. I've, there's a reason, too, and we're going to get to that reason here in just a minute, because uh, Low Life is awesome. Um, I'm really I'm really psyched to chat with you about it and get into the get into the weeds. Yeah, I'm on glad your... to be here. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, so what we like to start with, uh, this is just a little way to... Um, to uh, kind of get a background on you. Uh, so our first question isn't about low life, but it's about you. Is this your first project, the first thing you've created, or do you have a back roster that people might know you from? Uh, I No, this is not my first project. Uh, not by, actually not by a significant margin anymore. Um, yeah, this is my what, fifth Kickstarter campaign, my third Zine Quest. I've been doing Zine Quest since the very beginning. Uh, that one was one of my first published books, but I have been, you know, I'm trying to think this is my fifth published book and uh, probably another half dozen sort of like semi-published free for use um hacks floating around on my blog and other places okay. uh the big one that you might know me from potentially is a book called azerian's encoding of the west marches is a yeah. west marches guide yeah that was me okay my friend dom right yeah. on yeah, okay so you already got some of my money i just didn't know it <laughs> yeah you know that's, that's always the goal just pluck it straight out of your wallet <laughs> yep <laughs> Awesome. Oh man. Okay. All right. Now I'm. Now we just need to settle in. We we should have had you on long before this because I was. <laughs> we talked about your project uh, several months ago on on our little podcast here, oh, wow. and uh, we were very curious. So this is great. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Feel free to you know cross question me about things. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm, now I'm gonna have, I'm gonna reformat my brain here for a yeah, minute yeah, yeah. to take all that into uh, into account. But uh, while I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Low Life. Uh, give us the elevator pitch, if you don't mind. Yeah, so the elevator pitch for Low Life is that it's an old school supplement for your OSR and D&D kind of games about caving, tunnel, trenches, delving down into the kind of the gritty and the grime of underground spaces. Um, a lot of times I think that 
with, you know, video games and things, dungeons have gotten very, like, sanitized, for lack of a better word. You're used to, like, the worked stone floors that are five feet wide and ten feet tall. And I've always felt like that's a little lacking of, like, I have done the barest smidgen of crawling around in holes in real life, and it's scary. You're down on your oh, belly, yeah. and there's grime, and there's 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 all kinds of skittering things, and you can just feel that unease, and I wanted to capture that in, in a game. So this is meant to be any kind of D&D-ish, something further afield, like Mothership or Troika, with a little bit of hacking, um, and to capture some of the unease about caving and tunnel warfare and oh, mud. <laughs> all oh, right. Man. I'm super hooked. I'm super, super hooked. Um, yeah. Um, so, so you, you already touched on your inspiration for this, uh, which is awesome. And before I, before I ask my question, uh, I just want to tell you, Troy personally hates this idea of a project because <laughs> I read your little thing, the, 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 like the opening grab and I'm yeah. like, nope, done. Yeah. But yeah. DM Troy. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The very first time I, I, I started, I mean, it was like the earliest playtest of these rules, and it, there were a bunch of these pl uh, players, and they were all grizzled, right? They had fought dragons the size of mountains, they had climbed everything. They went into one dungeon, and they like got lost in the dark, their torch ran out, and they were crawling around on hands and knees. They climbed out, covered in dust and mud, and every single one of those players up and down swore, we're not going in another dungeon in this campaign. Not a chance. <laughs> Staying above ground entirely. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so... Uh, what is the one thing out of this whole project that you're just like, oh, I'm so glad it's in. I can't wait for people to see it. Uh, it's like asking me to choose a favorite child. Um, it is. <laughs> uh, if I had to pick one thing, honestly, and this is like not a content thing, but it's the, I finally, after a lot of screwing around in InDesign and Photoshop, figured out how to make it so tables and pages can look grimy but the text remains clear. If normally with the layers, it, it gets so that your your tables, if you want to have them look kind of like gritty and broken, it messes with the text as well. But due, due to some serious shenanigans, I managed to get it. So the tables, if you look at some of the test pages, you can see it, but the tables are filthy. They're like covered in muck and grime, yeah. and broken and cracked. And the same thing for page edges and like background text and things. But all the rules text, anything that you need to read remains clear on top of all of that. So it's this it's the effect of like being both filthy and gross, but also quite usable, which I personally love. Ooh. Definitely. Not like, unlike, you know, my own sort of life of filthy and disgusting, but still somehow workable. It's still somehow usable, yes. Okay. Uh, well, I... Okay, so so side note here. When mm -hmm. all when your project went live, and I think if I remember right, your project was live on day one yeah. of uh, ZineQuest. Yeah. Um, day one was like me furiously backing a whole bunch of products until I like came up for air and realized that um, I needed to stop and slow down. Um, I think I was backing at the PDF level at that point after I slowed down. And then I went back and looked at your project again. And uh, I, I think that at least at, thus far, like yours takes the cake as far as the most eye-catching, gorgeous design right from the start. So kudos to you for that. Thank uh, you. As Thank we're you. talking about it. So, yeah, a lot of that I goes to it. my goes to my artist, Vilchsi, uh, or Vilchsi. I struggle with Polish pronunciations. He's, his art is amazing and is definitely oh, part of the reason it's doing as well as it is. It looks so good. Yeah, you're sitting at like $5,500 right now, just over. Something like uh, that, yeah. For, for an $800 goal, so yeah, yeah. perfect. Perfect. Um, that art is a huge part of it, because I, I, I was talking to someone a couple days ago about your product, about low life, and um, I sent them the link, and they're like, oh, I'm in just from this uh, cover. I'm in. So uh, yeah. so my question would be, uh, trying to kind of follow up Troy's here. You talk about... Um, 
you talked about what your favorite thing is, but we all have those things in our projects, or at least I do, where uh, we have to cut it. Like it doesn't quite fit the theme one for, or it, it's too big of a idea or concept for a zine, or just page count. We've already we're at our max, but we always have something that we had to cut or wish, or that we wish we could have added in. What was that for you on this one? Oh, um, I mean, the advantage is that it's still in progress, and thus I can change things. But <laughs> uh, the thing that is. <clears throat> most likely to get cut and actually it has been cut already is originally this was sort of pitched as like a a dungeon with rules attached of like i i it has this kind of like smoky americana like old mm -hmm. great smoky mountains like appalachian kind of vibe appalachian kind of vibe sorry i'm from the north we say it wrong um <laughs> and, uh initially it was going to be pitched as like a sort of like a mega dungeon or like a sort of a large dungeon encounter with these rules kind of tacked onto it um and then as time went on the rules grew and I added more monsters and I like added more things that I liked and the ethos kind of grew and I realized that like this this dungeon A wasn't as brilliant as I thought it was going to be and B uh, and B was just like sort of sprawling and kind of went everywhere and so that got slashed down significantly into stretch goals a little pamphlet dungeon which is still being worked on um and now the rules have grown out kind of as a standalone thing without the associated dungeon initially it was going to have this whole kind of like semi-instructional vibe but that grew out of scale and scope rapidly and so has since been slashed <laughs> tragically my heart weeps for all my dead dungeons oh well well if uh it, it looks like uh there's a there's a support out there for a for a tunneling product so maybe maybe a future pro maybe you can follow this up with a future dungeon yeah or two or yeah. three or four or talk to the guys from uh stories from the slough because they need some extra dungeons for their uh hex crawl. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i might uh so that's cool. All right, so 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 dungeons got cut, and and in favor of kind of getting the laser focus on the tunneling aspect and and all the as, uh, kind of concepts built around that. It's cool. Exactly. Nice. So what uh, what do you feel are the benefits and the challenges of besides having to cut uh, for for putting this product into the zine format? Um, frankly, one of the big advantages of zines is that they're very cheap. Which means that a they're just cheap to print of you know like Mixam doesn't charge me a whole lot to ship them to my house, which is good compared to you know hardcovers. Um, <clears throat> on top of that, though, because they're kind of like they have kind of a low production value angle, it means that you're much more free to experiment. Of like, I think that if I tried to pitch a hardcover book that was like it's tunneling rules, everyone would kind of shake their head and be like, why would I? Why do I need this? Like I'm playing D and D already. I don't I need this thing. But because it's a <clears throat> Because it's a zine, and because they're kind of like light and cheap and easy, it means that you're pretty free to things, both things, and then of course make mistakes. Of like, if this comes out and people hate it and they realize that my rules are too clunky and nobody likes it but me, and it just bombs, like that's fine. It's a zine, you know. Like you're allowed to have one or two or even five <laughs> failed zines in your repertoire, and like nobody thinks bad of you. Um, the challenges uh, are a that you know sometimes my experimentalism runs away with me. Of like initially in one of these drafts, I was like, oh. We're gonna have an entire gradient running through the whole book, and so as you go, it'll like tell you things about the difficulty, and that that got thrown out because it was too complicated <laughs> and, and, and it was destroying any other sense of formatting I had. Um, and otherwise, it's just the scope of like my books tend to run long, and so trying mm. to fit things into you know thirty-two or thirty-six or twenty-eight pages, uh, it tests my ability to condense and cut things down and keep everything small, which I'm sure is a common challenge, but it's one that oh, bites yeah. at me still. I have to set page limits for myself, and I cannot go over those. <laughs> cool. uh so my uh question would be uh to follow up that is there are a lot we, we've been covering hitting on this a lot uh, but there's a lot of zines out right now i mean 
like I don't know how many zines were live last year, but I think we're already pushing a hundred or more live projects at the moment. And a lot of those are fantasy themed and a lot of those are uh, you know, centered around D D or that sort oh, yeah. of thing. What if you had to tell someone, I know we we talked about tunneling, but like what's sets you further apart from all those other projects? How do you differentiate differentiate yourself as a product? Um, there are kind of two angles to it. One of them, I think, most obviously, is kind of the aesthetic of, like I mentioned, yeah. it's, the life has a very kind of like, uh, like, it's not quite the deep south, but it's sort of like the eastern mountainous American aesthetic. In my playtests, it was sort of a loose, like, 1800s-ish setting, sort of like Harlan County War, Coal Wars era, which is sort of a departure from traditional kind of like Eurocentric mm -hmm. D&D fantasy of like, obviously D&D has a lot of like American expansionist elements built in of like, oh, we push west to the frontier and the untamed wilderness. But I think that setting it in a more explicitly kind of American setting of like, oh, this is not, there aren't castles here. There aren't like, you know, knights in the traditional sense of, of kind of a more um, industrial, but also a more sort of like old country. D ironically, it feels old country despite being sort of newer historically <laughs> than much of the sort of Eurocentric D&D. &D. So that's one part is the aesthetic of kind of the American Appalachian vibe. And the, the, the second part I think is that a lot of what Low Life is about is it is about enhancing things that already exist. Of like much of the content that I see, both during ZineQuest but also elsewhere, is it's new stuff, right? If it's a new adventure, it's a new system. I mean, systems are a little a little different, but it's a new adventure, it's new monsters, it's new content, it's new setting, it's new things to slot into your game to play through. And what Low Life aims to do more is to say, okay, you should change the way that you're already playing. Like you could take, you know, uh, uh, B1, right? Keep on the Borderlands. And you could say, okay, let's let's run Keep of the Borderlands, keep on the Borderlands, sorry, but use low life rules built into it. And that will significantly change the way you play. So oh, it's definitely. not a it's not new stuff. It's it is a way to change the stuff you already know and love to be a little bit spookier and a little bit scarier. Ooh. Oh, okay. So this is the Parmesan cheese on top of the pizza. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I I Yeah. As uh, if you can't tell, I'm I'm hungry. We've already talked about yeah. hot dogs <laughs> and stuff on other on other interviews. So yeah, I'm I'm already uh, past lunch. Um. So, would you say that this that low life is something that a brand new DM could pick up and and throw in their game, or would this need a little bit of seasoning? I think a brand new DM probably could pick it up. I think, especially now, I think. Uh, because of the the prevalence of video games and the kind of the crossover of like the D and D scene, of like it's rare to find a D and D player who hasn't played some video game RPG that has a dungeon in it. And so I think conceptually, it's not hard to imagine. Of like this does not require to say it doesn't require imagination is not quite the right thing, but it, it, it's not new concepts, right? If like everybody is used to the idea of crawling into holes in the ground, I think mechanically, a new GM. I mean, like all rule systems, might flounder a little bit. Um, I think even experienced GMs might flounder a little bit, but I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I think getting to, used to kind of new system rules as you play them is an important part of an RPG. So I would say that conceptually, someone well-versed in fantasy sort of media would have no trouble with low life. I think rules-wise, many GMs will, will, there will be a little bit of an easing in process. I know even in my own playtests, I wrote, I wrote the rules, and there was a bit of an easing in process for me and my players of getting used yeah. to how it operates. Okay, because hmm. I'm, I'm getting... Uh... Am I the, the movie that came out uh, several years ago? Is it Descent? Oh yeah, I, is, I haven't I mean, seen that. But but I, that's I, kind I, of I the think... vibe I'm feeling because they're they're stuck yeah. 
they went spelunking yeah. and now there's these creatures that are coming after them and they have to worry about their lighting, you know, their lighting yeah. And, and yeah, it's just honestly a, a huge inspiration for low life sort of indirectly was I went on a binge of YouTube videos of people caving where they strap GoPros to their heads and then crawl through actual real life caves. It's terrifying. They but have it's like so yeah, they have it. It's it's terrifying, but it's amazing. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> okay, so uh, to get us back on track, so th this sounds like an, an absolutely fantastic product that my players will hate. So I love it. I'm in. <laughs> but what's next? What what does Sam have in his back pocket ready um, to unleash? The a few different things. Um, one of them is grad school. I'm still a grad student, so obviously all of that. Um, other than that, though, uh, probably the next project. Um, um, like a toolbox setting guide, sort of in the veins of, or sort of in the vein of like veins of the earth, or um, some of the other kind of more like uh, not like a strict here is the map setting guide, but kind of a more like build your own. Um, focused what, the the working title, which may become the real title, is Seas of Sand, about a giant ocean made of sand that you sail ships across. During the day, okay. it's liquid, and at night, it hardens and cools over. So you get all the wonders of the desert, but also at the same time, pirate fantasy. Ooh, that's cool. I like I'm this. Down. Yeah, mm -hmm. so fingers crossed that that will come out in the next while. That's all I'll commit to right now. Um, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah, I like that safe angle. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Sam, as we're closing out here, mm -hmm. um, I really appreciate you taking the time to t come on oh, yeah. and talk to us about low life. Um, go back it, folks. It's it's a no brainer. It, um, yeah. I we don't we don't we haven't covered this every time, but it's like twelve bucks on. Uh, I think it's twelve bucks on uh, yeah, Kickstarter for the. Yeah, for the physical copy and six bucks for the PDF. No brainer. You should go check it out for the art alone. Worth it. Uh, and I'm very intrigued about the tunneling aspect, tunnel rules yes. and all that. So um, let's just let's just make it happen um, in a bigger way. Uh, Sam, where would you direct people that want to follow you, want to know more about this project or your previous products or your upcoming products? Uh, where's the best place for them to find you online? Um, first I would tell them to not follow me. I'm not worth following. Um, but, uh, if you want to follow me, probably the best way is my Twitter account, which is at head of the goat, my kind of like semi-official, uh, studio publishing house. I don't know what to call it. Nice. Is a uh, goat's head, the goat's head. So I'm, I'm at head of the goat. Um, you can find me on drive through at the goat's head. Uh, I think I'm on itch as head of the goat as well. Um, all those kind of, they're all linked on the Kickstarter page. You can find me. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. My very first blog ever was called Goat's Breath. Uh, so uh, we have a yeah, little I have a blog piece too. of that one's, that one's called Capo Capre, which is how you say Goat's Head in Latin. Cause <laughs> awesome. Why would you not? Why would you name your blog something normal? Um, <laughs> no. Never. Yeah. Never. All right. Well, Sam, thank you again so much. And uh, oh, we'll yeah, go you. check out your product. And uh, we'll see you around, hopefully. So. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. That was awesome. Great. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Fantastic. Yeah, that's... Oh, that's so that creepy. Awesome. I love it. Next up is the one and only JVC Perry. If you don't know who JVC is, then I'm guessing you've been stuck in some of those tunnels found in low life. Uh, you can find his work all over DM's Guild for D&D &D content, but his offering, Peculiar Children is a system of his creation about odd youngsters with special gifts. And let me tell you, the photos used in this zine is enough to sell it. I'm telling you right now. Hope you like creepy kids. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another creator interview with Bite Size Gaming. Uh, Troy, the round of hosting, and we've got the illustrator JVC Perry with us. Uh, JVC, how you doing? Hi. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, thank you for being on. This is awesome. Uh, as we were discussing beforehand, our first question is uh, typically about, uh, you know, if this is your first project or if it's not your first project and what people might know you from. This is, uh, I think, quite a few people might recognize your name at this point. But um, for those of you who might not recognize, uh, uh, this might be a new name for them. What would you tell them you have contributed to? What's your body of work? Sure. Um, well, I started publishing in 2016 and my I guess for the first few years, I was solely on the DMs Guild, um, which is like, for anyone that doesn't know, is the biggest kind of, I guess, third party publishing platform for fifth edition D&D. Um, I started out just with short adventures, but slowly wrote longer form things. And I'm kind of best known now for Call from the Deep, which is a big kind of one through 12 uh, campaign. Um, and off the back of that and my previous work, I started getting freelance gigs. So I've been a freelance writer now for a whole year uh, full time. And I was doing bits before that alongside my day job. Um, but yeah, now it's full time. So I'm working for Lawsmith, Nord Games, uh, lo loads of people really, which is great. And so a lot of the time my name's on stuff from other companies. <laughs> right on. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, love a lot of your stuff. We were talking about that beforehand. Um, today, though, you just launched like literally a few minutes ago, I think, like within the hour, you've launched Peculiar Children, uh, a new zine on Kickstarter, and uh, it's already funded. So for those of, uh, uh, but it's just brand new. It's brand new. Uh, and a lot of people probably haven't even gotten the opportunity to go on and read the elevator pitch about it. So why don't you give us the pitch? What is Peculiar Children? Sure. So, um, Essentially, the, the game is you play kids with paranormal powers. Um, they can range from anything from the classic cover image, which is shooting bees from your mouth, uh, to crying lava, to having x-ray vision. It kind of, it's really open-ended and you can have pretty much whatever power you want. Obviously, discuss it with your GM first. Um, it's based on a book which was later turned into a film called uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. And it's yes. kind of got vibes of like the SCP Foundation and other kind of, um, I guess I guess in the horror vein, but slightly more whimsical for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. And in terms of mechanics, it's quite similar to Tales from the Loop. It uses a, a dice pool system. Tales from the Loop is on the year zero engine kind of mechanics. So um, I've increased the dice size, which means everything is a little bit harder, but with your peculiarities, these paranormal powers that you have, you can roll extra D6 in there to make things slightly easier for you. And that is kind of, in a nutshell, the whole game. Awesome, I dig that. Okay. Um, so besides uh, besides Miss Peregrine's School for Peculiar Children, mm. what, what other inspirations did you draw from? Yeah, uh, so I mean, in terms of the mechanics, it, it really is that Year Zero engine. I've basically kind of done a hack. This, that's got an open gaming license, and I've kind of hacked the way that I'm used to doing uh, with D&D uh, 5th to kind of expand on the rules a little bit. And, and a lot of the core concepts are there. You know, we've got um, attributes and abilities. Your attributes are heart, body, mind, and then your abilities are within those. 
um, and you're adding dice on this, the attribute and the ability you use to make a bigger dice pool to increase your chances of success. Um, but yeah, the real kind of um, inspiration in terms of story and in terms of the theme and the setting come from Miss Peregrine's and from the SCP. There's uh, an sort of, I'm going to put in quotes, evil organisation um, in the setting of the game uh, called the DRPI, which is the Department of Research into Paranormal Incidents, um, known by most people just as the White Coats, which is kind of a really SCP type thing. Um, and they are, I'm not gonna, I don't think they're the baddies, but they're the antagonists essentially to these children. If the kids do things during their day-to-day -day lives that draw too much attention to them, those are the people that they're looking to avoid because they're going to seek you out. And a lot of that comes from more of the SCP side of things. Okay. Very cool. So what is, what is there something in this project that you're just like, Oh, I cannot wait for people to see this. Yeah. sure. The, the so, one, the one thing that's like, Oh yeah. The, I mean, the one thing for me and I'm, I'm already used to the mechanics of it and I'm already used to the setting of it. So for me, it's the artwork. Um, Eduardo, uh, the artist, has he's a, he does photo manipulation and stuff. So he has basically taken uh, images from like the Library of Congress and other sources like that, where it's common Creative Commons art, public domain, and he's changed it and manipulated it. So we get these amazing. They look just like photographs of yep. you know little kids with fire erupting from their hands or kids speeding down racetracks and stuff like that. Or we even have one that is like a part amphibian, part human. Um, and so for me, every time I get new one of those in my inbox, it just really lights up my day and then working them into the layout. I'm trying, you know, previously my layouts have been either very, you know, with my fifth edition stuff, it's been very much aping the style of Wizards of the Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, and with the last game I produced, the last indie game I produced, Drakkar, um, that was really minimalist in terms of layout. It had great artwork in it, but it was, you know, black and white, really simple. So for mm -hmm. this one, I'm trying to push the boat out and give it more of like a case file kind of a feel. And seeing the artwork flow into that is satisfying. Yeah, those pictures are are <laughs> outstanding and know, so right? subtly creepy. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the exact vibe. We wanted them to be uncanny, you know, sort of like something that puts you a little bit on edge, but also kind of comical at the same time. The little the little girl looking out mm. the door is just like when you. I'm not going to say what's wrong with it or what, what what's different. <laughs> But as soon as you're like looking at it, you're like, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it takes you a moment. It, it does. <laughs> that's the that's the fun. Like uh, like some of these are going to be quite obvious, I'm sure, uh, like the kid with the bees and the cover. But some of these, I, you can already tell, are going to be a bit more subtle. And those are going to be, that's like the fun to give that depth of, of an experience of not everything is going to be, like you said, like if every child is, out front and visible with their powers then the white coats are their job is made a whole lot easier so yeah um yeah i like it and i like that you're using like traditional like uh archived images and manipulating them so you have that really authentic feel yeah. it's a lot of like apparent photography so like most other zines at least are going to have a lot of sketches and a mm -hmm. lot of like digital art and then you're going to have peculiar children coming in and it's like, it all looks like it's in the real world, just historic. <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah, that was really the vibe we were going for. We wanted to, you know, not necessarily make people question whether it was real, but definitely immerse them into the universe. Interesting. So what's something, uh, is there a, I'll, I'll kind of specify this question a little bit more than, than uh, before, but is there a child or a power that 
Um, I know you said like you can have virtually any, but is there one that you didn't put into the book as a suggestion that kind of has been in the back burner as like, that would be a fun child to have at some point? Not, not really. I think um, what we've, what I've done really is try to create a flowing chart of different ways, you know, okay. what are you shooting and out of where and all kind of this kind of branching out tree of powers that you can either roll on randomly or you can make up your own or just follow through the path that you feel suits you. Um, and there I'm trying to get a really, this is a page that's kind of bugging me at the minute in the layout because I want it to look exactly like kind of a lab report that someone has documented down like these are the okay. known things and these are like our potential ones that we think might be out there in the world um and i want to really name evading me at the minute <laughs> <laughs> cool um, but other, other than those kind of small things here and there we've not left much out of the book um i'm working with a, an indie publisher over here called green teeth press who are helping me with the mm -hmm. editing and proofreading and stuff um this is their first role-playing game, but they've okay. done anthologies of short fiction and poetry and stuff like oh. that in the past. Um, wow. Yeah, they, they're good guys. Uh, and so they are really helping me to kind of curate the content in a way that I wouldn't normally think about just from a, a game's yeah. perspective. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a smart idea for this sort of project, to bring someone from outside the game world to give it a more of a narrative, if that's the better way of putting it, narrative flavor. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. yeah, and just kind of like put it all a, a little bit more slightly askew somebody in the gaming world would be used to. It just kind of gives yeah. it that more, yeah. That's I it, like yeah. That. We, you know, the images are going to do a, a big part of that, but it's also nice to kind of throw people off in other ways. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So what, uh, what, where, what do you find as the benefits and challenges of putting your project into the zine format? Yeah, I think for me, when I'm designing indie games it's a real break and a real creative release for me because my, my day job is basically writing fifth edition material. Most of the uh, companies that hire me to freelance write for them are asking for fifth uh, edition D&D &D yeah. writing. Sometimes it's system neutral, but in many ways that's always skewed toward 5e because it's the biggest game out there, right? So mm -hmm. for me, having this opportunity to think short and really design games that will fit in not many pages and don't take up too much uh, load in terms of mechanics and you know think about the spells in D&D when you have an open system like that it's going on for pages and pages and pages it's a book in itself essentially so what I really am trying to do at the minute is to distill mechanics down into real narrow niches but without um, losing the flavour you know anyone can just say okay here's the game you have a D6 you've got to roll a 6 to succeed off you go I think the challenge is and this is this is what I like about zines is having it short and condensed so it's down within a few pages and easy to understand is another thing. Um, but it doesn't lose that flavour that it's got. It doesn't, it doesn't feel totally detached from the game and the setting and the universe that you've built up. Okay. Interesting. Like that. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, so, so, so this system that you've designed you know, you talked about it being kind of tied around or based from Tales from the Loop. Yeah. What itch do you feel like it scratches? Because you've, you've tweaked it a bit. Why? What's the tweaks for? Why not use a regular, or I say regular, but why not use a pre-existing system? What, what, were you, what are you trying to accomplish with a new system here? Yeah, so really, I'm trying to make 
Tales from the Loop is quite an upbeat game. It's all about mysteries. Um, you don't really, there's no real chance of injury or anything like that. Um, certainly not of death. And there's not in this system either, but it has a grittier feel. Rather than luck, you have the choice to kind of push your rolls by damaging your own attributes and stuff like that. So really I was trying to take some of the joviality of Tales from the Loop uh, and take that basically back on itself and make it a, a more gritty and kind of airy experience. You know, it's kind of a horror game at its heart. Um, so I wanted to pull that again into the mechanics of the game. And the other thing about Tales from the Loop is it's obviously very technical and very kind of sci-fi because that, that whole game is, is based on Stein, Simon's art and mm -hmm. Simon's art is, you know, this massive kind of tech future thing. And it's, it's phenomenal, but it's, it's been done. That's, you know, they've got that pretty well covered, right? So for me, I wanted to make, you know, the rolling, it's going to be harder to succeed because this is, ju this is just the gritty world that you're living in. There's not amazing tech that you can go out and use to climb things or to shoot uh, taser blasts or anything like that. You know, if you want to push someone over, you're going to have to push them over with your hands, not with a giant robot. Um, so making it kind of harder in that respect and making it more of a pushing the role than a luck using mechanic um, mm -hmm. is a is a big change that I wanted to, I guess, invoke through the mechanics. Okay, right on. Uh, so, is this um, is this something that uh, uh, brand new game masters and players can just pick up and go with, or do or do they need to have a little bit of role-playing RPG experience under their belt before they can... Uh, I would say, you know, it's always a thing to play something, just so that you um, understand things like when is a good time to ask for a role and when's not a good time, or things like, you know, should the scene just be a role-play scene or should it be a scene where, uh, what, what I'm calling in the book, an escapade, where things, you know, build up and require roles and there's a threat level. Um, so some role-playing experience would be good, but I think because it's a simple system um, and because with Kickstarter I'm, I'm more thinking about the side of my audience that isn't geared into D&D, I've made it nice and easy to follow. All the rules are condensed down into just a few pages. It's, it's rules light, it really is. Okay. I mean, my previous game, uh, Drakkar, that I kickstarted as well, was also really light. So I think if, if you've if that's the only game you've played before, you'll be able to grasp this one absolutely fine. Oh, right. On. Okay. So cool. So what is next for the prolific, the prodigiously prolific JVC pairing? <laughs> yeah. So uh, in terms of my solo publishing, um, the next thing is going to be a, a book called uh, Through the Looking Glass, which is based on Alice in Wonderland, um, and it uses Scrabble tiles instead of dice um yeah it's an it's an odd one it's yeah kind of like, okay i'm down that's awesome <laughs> okay. I, i'm i'm hyped yeah <laughs> it's a it's kind of like a merge between playing scrabble and playing a role-playing game uh i'm really proud of it i've been working on it for a, a long time i started writing that before Drakkar, so it's, it's been kind of years in the works uh and my uh fiance is illustrating it at the minute uh and it just it looks amazing this the work she's done for it is superb um, so that will be my next, that will probably be my next Kickstarter, unless 
something else comes <laughs> and ignites my fire in between. Um, but, you know, I'm also, like we've, we've discussed, I'm working on Lights of Winthrop Manor for Stoneworks Gaming, which uses this the common core system that you guys have come up with. Um, I'm also working on Wondrous Expeditions for Lawsmith, um, Dangerous Destinations for Nord Games, um, Dungeon in a Box. I've been writing an adventure for them called The Web of Lactrodectus. Um, and I'm also writing another big campaign for the DMs Guild on behalf of um, a client who has not yet revealed too much about it. So all I can say <laughs> is that I'm writing it. <laughs> well, I, but I'm definitely excited now because I'm a big Dungeons in the Box fan. Oh, nice. Cool. Awesome. Yes, yeah. This is the I first have. time I've worked with them. So They're all over the house. All over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a neat company. So I'm, I'm really excited to work with them. Uh, it's, it's a new, you know, I like the... The additional aspect for them is not just writing, but I also have to think a bit more in the box, I guess. I've <laughs> got to think about what kind of map am I going to put into this adventure that's going to make it work because they've got the double-sided maps. Yes. Uh, yeah. And what minis am I going to have in there as well? So it kind of brings an additional aspect to just my usual design philosophy, which is neat. Mm. Very cool. Oh, man. I, I, I'm excited now. <laughs> so... Um... At this point, we would all encourage everyone to go check out Peculiar Children. Uh, it's going to be live on Kickstarter uh, for a few days. Um, I'm going to pull that back up here so I can keep it in mind. It's got 13 days to go. It's going to end on February 22nd. Um, I would encourage uh, folks to go check that out. If they want to see uh, uh, samples of your writing, just head on over to the DMs Guild. Is there any other place that you would have them go if they want to follow you or or uh, keep up with your work? Yeah, so um, just for kind of keeping up with what I'm doing, um, you can follow me on Facebook and, and Twitter. That's JVC Parry on both of those. Um, I've also got a website, jvcparry.com. And if you want to check out my writing for free, there are kind of two ways you can do that. The first one is DMs Guild. I've got a free adventure on there called Seeds of Chaos. Um, and the other way would be to join my mailing list because if you join my mailing list, you get four free one-page fifth edition adventures. Very cool. Awesome. Heck yeah. And then I'll go ahead and say, uh, if you if you like all that and you back Peculiar Children, probably no reason why you wouldn't back uh, Lights of Winthrop Manor here in a few days. Yeah. Um, we interviewed them uh, about a week ago the for, for the podcast. And uh, awesome. so you can check out that project as well for fifth edition. Yeah, if, okay. you, if you're looking for something written by me, but that's 5e rather than some random system I've just made up, <laughs> then yeah, that's the that's the one to back this time. <laughs> there cool. you go. Well, or back them both and and get a surprise. <laughs> yeah, back them both. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank you so much, JVC, for coming on and chatting with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, everyone, go check out Peculiar Children, and uh, we'll see you on the next creator interview. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks very much, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Have a great Bye. day. Cheers. And last on this roster is the magnificently bearded Tony Vicinda from Plus One Experience, bringing you the grossest RPG that we are super excited to get our grubby little hands on. The resolution mechanic for this game has got me dying to play it, so dodge the snot rockets and don't step in whatever that is on your way to backing this puppy when it goes live. Hey everyone, welcome back to another creator interview with Bite Size Gaming our little break for the afternoon and now troy and i are back to interview tony with repugnant tony i'm really excited to chat with you about your game your game is kind of the uh 
the project that's sneaking under the radar, at least at building up momentum and building up hype and building up <laughs> anticipation. And I don't know what we're in for yet. Yeah. Ho hopefully so. It could just all, you know, it could all just be a sham. Uh, who knows? Uh, <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, it is interesting. You know, it's one of those things where most of my zine quest will be spent hyping up and promoting everybody else's game. Uh, so you get to do this kind of like subtle push on your game as you go. And then, um, you know, it's hard because even as much as everybody's happy to listen to you talk about other people's games, uh, whenever you're like, but my game's really good also, they're like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no, no, surely not. That's not, that's not fair. Uh, repugnant look awesome. Um, but before we do that, before we talk about Repugnant, uh, the first question that we always ask is, uh, we'd like to know, where might people have heard your name before, uh, if anywhere? Oh, man, that's a really interesting question. Um, within the within the tabletop community, um, really last year we did a zine quest. Uh, we did a game called Beards and Beyond uh, that uh, 10X funded. It was a late-in Kickstarter project. I would say at that point in history, it was probably the most overproduced kickstarter campaign in uh <laughs> the history of of the platform um we put a lot of energy and effort into the page that was very unnecessary for a zine quest project a lot of it was just to model out how we want to do things going forward for other games that we build up um, a lot of it was just kind of getting into the fun and then uh for anybody who out there who's run a project you kind of get into that phase of like hey i uh I, you know, that last 48 hours when things are starting to gel and sometimes in the middle of that, things will flip and you'll have some new ideas. And if you can rush to implement them, you'll end up with some amazing stuff. Sometimes you can't though. We we were able to, so our page was was a lot of fun. We did a lot of fun things and we did a lot of community building. So that'd be number one. I'm, I'm around on a lot of the different uh, RPG groups. Um, and then the other thing is we run a YouTube channel that if you've been paying attention to ZineQuest or TTRPG stuff for the last um three months you might have heard of us uh it's at youtube.com slash plus one exp where we do uh, reviews of tabletop role-playing games uh, actual plays uh, short breakdowns that are about eight minutes long total but about five minutes of actual review on different systems and games and we started a new project called inventory management recently where we do modules and other stuff like that um and those have been pretty popular over the course of the last couple months within you know the the rpg community so that's been um a lot of fun and then um, most of my other fame beyond that lies outside of the of the ttrpg world so that's be the most common place people have heard from me who who might be listening out there very cool so yeah i've been loving watching your semi-daily uh zine quest video blogs or however you want to call them just yeah we're the... just calling it our, our zine questing series um so it's our uh, our attempt to cover as many projects as possible there'll be 300 plus projects that launch this month on kickstarter as part of zine quest and so every day uh we're zine questing to cover like eight to 12 of those today we went a little bit shorter um well we didn't actually go any shorter i just covered less projects today um and uh it's i just look at the page um our channel is all about positivity so i'd rather not review a game than give it a bad review um so i'm always looking for what am i excited about here uh, on the page uh may, i may have some questions like hey i wonder why the creator did this or here you know here's what i like here's what i would prefer to see here uh, uh, it's about what we're most excited about and then sometimes we'll back them sometimes we'll just save them sometimes we'll look at you know completely other things because they're just not for us and then we're we're kind of championing this 28 dollars 28 days thing which is 
backing one Kickstarter project for about a dollar um, every single day during the month of February, in addition to whatever zines you do, because it actually matters a whole lot to creators to just get that one backer, especially mid campaign when you're like, mm -hmm. you've got like hundreds coming in the first day or, you know, dozens coming in the first day. And then like day seven, nobody backs your game and you're that the endorphins are crashing and you're like, no, I must, I must have one person back my game in order to feel like a whole and complete <laughs> individual. Um, so, um, so that that's, that's some of the different stuff that we're doing um, on that piece. And then um, we booked a whole lot of interviews this week on top of that for some reason with different people who have it. I'm so, excited. Uh, yeah. So very cool. So today though, we're going to focus on repugnant, uh, because I'm excited about it. I know you're excited about it. We've been chatting about it before you hopped on here. Give us an elevator pitch. What are we going to see with repugnant when, when it launches here in a few days? Yeah. So the, the whole goal behind repugnant is to create the world's most disgusting RPG. Um, and we take that really literally to mean like we want the goal of the game to be creating characters who can embrace and, and kind of roll around in gross behavior um, without it being morally uh, apprehensible. So like we're not talking about like, hey, how do we just have despicable people doing despicable things? It is kind of like scummy, scuzzy creatures, uh, kind of imagine garbage pale kids grown up is a way that somebody talked about it, um, picking their way across this weird land world that we call the crust, um, dealing with uh, mounds of garbage, uh, you know, dastardly and disgusting, uh, bad and good forces, as well as some, um, some out of this world, but also very familiar faces um, that are, they're gonna have to deal with as characters kind of progress and get getting into what we're kind of considering the core set of our RPG. So um, we've got five unique races. Uh, we don't have classes, we have mutations. There are five of those also, um, depending on what we unlock uh, or how people respond to it, we may end up creating some more um, you know, for future stuff or for digital content, but the print work we wanna have as, as finished as possible um, as we go into day one. Um, except for some blank spots that we've left empty to help other people fill out during the campaign. So, um, you know, if 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 popping zits and shooting snot rockets and you know huffing farts um, as a character concept <laughs> sounds like fun to you, then you'll probably enjoy Repugnant. Um, on top of that, I would say uh, if none of that sounds attractive to you at all, which is that's fine. Uh, I get it. Um, the art by John DeCampos, my, my, uh, co-creator on this is going to be worth the cost of admission. It's absolutely gorgeous. I, I can agree with that. Um, it, it takes me back to the days of like the rat fink. Yeah. yeah style. Yeah. I love um, that. That is yeah. so cool. Rat, rat fink, fink and pork. Um, if you're yeah. familiar with their work would definitely be like kind of some of the artistic touchstones. Um, and this John actually, he actually came to me with kind of the world and the setting. We, we played a game of neon Lords of the toxic wasteland on our channel when it was live, uh, with the creator. And, you know, we were these kind of scuzzy guys picking our way across a post-apocalyptic eighties fueled wasteland and just had some really, like, there was not a lot of the moral complicity of alignments or other things like that. Um, and John really loved that. And so afterwards we just started talking about what we might want to make. Uh, he's never made an RPG before. I spent a lot more time in RPG world. So he said, hey, would you would you be able to make this with me? Could you do the system pieces and help with the writing? Um, and I, he would do the art and help with the world building. And that was kind of the the partnership that we set up. And um, I'm I'm super thrilled with everything that we've created. Um, but we also decided in to do it in like late December. 
Um, and so it's been a it's been a run 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 up at it process, um, and uh, we're still finishing off a couple of the core elements. All the concepts are done, but the week, the week and next week are actually putting the finalized text into place, getting the the near final art elements uh, done, and then making sure that all that stuff matches up, and then making any adjustments we need to over the course of the next couple of weeks while we're running the campaign, so that we're pretty much set to go to print as soon as we're done. Very cool. I like that. So, what else? What else may maybe had their hand in inspiring you to do this besides that uh, the other game? Um, so that was where it started. But I, I would actually say a lot for um, uh, for for both of us was just kind of pulling from uh, you know like the Labyrinth Garbage Kingdom. Like if you guys are friends, uh, oh, yeah. friends of the the '80s movie, the Labyrinth from the Jim yeah. Henson Studios. Um, th those scenes and you know with with the Garbage Kingdom was I think certainly a touchstone. You know for me, um, there was like an off brand um uh garfield called heathcliff uh when i was oh, growing yeah, up yeah. that were the cats that lived in you know the the dump um you know there's a lot of small ips that really helped influence some of that but uh we wanted something that was a little bit fantasy a little bit post-apocalyptic but not actually like with none of the the like the world ended like actually in repugnant um essentially humanity went in two different routes um people imagine like in wally where like some people took to the stars and were like, we're gonna go li live out in space and we'll come back when the planet is good. And some people were like, no, we're gonna stay because this is our home. And the people who stayed became the dwellers on the crust. Um, and the people who left, uh, do they, they come back in the story. So like that's those are some of our, our bigger bads for later in game are people who come back and are kind of trying to, to clean up this disgusting space and um, uh, kind of enforce their own bubble of purity. So there's some, some uh, colonialism that we're, we're pushing back against uh, in that kind of design aspect um, and narratively. Um, but those are kind of like later game conversations as people get into higher levels that that uh, collectors, which is what we call GMs, can can kind of dive into. Um, the thing I'm most excited about, obviously, is system side. Um, so it's a it's a D2 system, um, which uh, we wanted to figure mm. out something that wasn't um, that was slightly obnoxious but didn't require somebody to go out and actually buy a different type of <laughs> dice they might not have. Um, and so uh, that was that was a big thing for us. Now, we only achieved part of that. Um, we we ended up with, instead of just round dice, because if there's a slightly dex-based mechanic, there'll be um, uh, this piece of paper you put out on the table called the heap, and it has a kind of auricular capacity to it where there'll be some different mounds of trash, trash there's a figure in the middle of it that's got kind of three different zones marked around the body and kind of uh, um a da vinci kind of esque uh, scaling of this outline of a human being there's a moon and some other stuff in the sky so you get this kind of this daylight mode going on um and whenever you whenever you need to roll you'll actually do one of three different types of flings is what we call them so you'll either flop which is taking a bunch of chits and dropping them from 18 inches up you'll uh you'll fling which is uh you're going to take them and you're going to throw them from about six inches away from the edge of the table and have them land on the sheet and then there's flicks which is putting them on the edge of your thumb and flicking them off um onto the sheet and it depends on what type of move you're doing if it's cool it's a cool vert you're going to flop if it's uh in if it's a little bit more finessed or ranged at a distance uh then you're going to fling and if it's a complex series of maneuvers that you kind of want to see how it comes out that's when you'll use a flick um, to see what happens and where things land on the sheet will tell the collector 
uh, what has happened during that section of the game. But when we were playing around with with round D2s, which you could just use coins, right? And you anybody could just use coins. Um, they would roll a whole lot more. There were a whole lot misses because things would go off the sheet. We didn't like that. Uh, so we ended up with a triangular shape uh, for the D2s we want. And we've got a couple solutions for how to make that easy for people. Um, one is kind of like a printable cutout. Uh, option. The other one is a paper craft folding option. We'll have an upgraded premium version where you can do, um, like you can get the wooden custom like laser etched ones that we'll have and all painted like day glow green um, uh, available also too as part of that. Uh, but we didn't want, um, we didn't want it to be hard for people to be able to use it. So literally the print one's like, print these out, find a piece of trash around your house, paste them down and then cut around that piece of trash. So take a cereal box, take an Amazon box that's sitting at your house and slap this on the outside of it. And those are your chits. They can be the same size, different size, doesn't matter. The crappier they look, the better that is. Um, but uh, you'll need a certain number of successes and what side they land on and where they land. We'll tell you all kinds of stuff, but it's a way more, it was a simple way to do a really cool narrative system um, that provided a lot of options depending on where things land uh, and made crits more about landing in a, the right spot on the sheet than anything else. Um, and we'll be finessing the the some accessibility issues around that. We don't want people who can't roll dice or who are just really horrible at deck space things to feel like, oh, well, I just suck at this game. Um, and so we'll have an accessibility way where you can just roll a normal dice to be able to play also too. That is cool. absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I can imagine like different people that have that pick different classes, you know, maybe building their chits to emulate their different oh, classes yeah. and flavor, right? Yeah, I would love to see that. I think we'll be able to see a lot of, especially because of the because of John's immense, immense talent. I think we'll be able to see a lot of fun visual things out of this working working with an artist. Um, and you know, like, uh, you know, lots of times it'll be like John will have an idea, and it'll be like one or two words, or I'll have an idea, it'll be one or two words, and we'll, the conversation is like in the world we kind of finesse that out all right a paragraph of text and then he'll take that and he'll turn it into something like absolutely amazing and sometimes it's not what we wrote it's just, but it's still absolutely amazing so i'll go back to the text and i'll be like all right let's like do like we'll do this and this this and this instead you know um and so um but you'll yeah you'll pick a race you'll pick a class and those little things will basically tell you what your stats are what your special abilities are mutations is what we call them not classes um and that'll be it um you know we've got some some cool stretch goals we're planning um some 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 things we're trying to figure out if we can still do like i would love to do a custom dice bag with our friends over at black rainbow um i just love the idea Ooh. of having like a trash bag as oh, a dice bag yeah. for this as either an add-on or a major stretch goal or putting in a premium version or things like that so my friend uh my friend gravy over at black rainbow dice um is working out some of the details on that to see if we can make that work um I'd love to to do a full print of the the cover for that. It's going to be absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things um, we're going to do, but the, we'll have a map that'll be one of the stretch goals also, and that'll be an 11 by 17 uh, piece of paper that'll fold up and can be inserted inside also too. That'll give you the entirety of the crust. But um, yeah, I'm I, I think anytime you're playing in kind of like that that pseudo post apocalyptic way, the ability to throw down a map and then like um do fun stuff with that is is absolutely huge and we really want people to have a sense like an experience at the table that the mechanics and the feel and the table presence match the theme of the game and so putting a bunch of crap on your table um absolutely matches with what we're going for in repugnant that is that is fantastic i'm i'm in <laughs> I'm sold it's like you know it's like what is repugnant i don't know you know it's not getting a whole lot on this little on the Kickstarter page, you know, it's 
world's most disgusting. I don't understand what that's going to be. But now after hearing you talk about it, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm sold. Let's do this. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, um, we we did we tend like my design in, tends to be very niche and like let's take the theme, let's figure out the specific mechanics that push that theme up to eleven, um, and then we we can do the world building. And, right and so partnering with John, it's been an absolute blast. So, so I'm what I'm guessing is this is this is definitely going to have to be an in person game. I don't I I'm I'm not thinking of anything that you could roll twenty. You probably you, sure, you surely couldn't. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna do on the on the day of launch we'll have an actual play and and right now what it'll be is um because I think and when the final game happens you'll essentially as the GM or the the collector you'll never have to roll you can always just have the players do it and then you can look at where things land and you can tell okay. Oh, okay. here's what happened because they don't, if they don't know what it is you can say toss three toss three chits on the heap. And they won't know what you're having them toss for, so it doesn't matter. They may know something's happened, but they know just as much something's happened when you're sitting behind your GM screen going like, "Yeah, like yeah, you know, they yeah. know something's going on." Um, and thing is, same thing as GM screen. You can do it when nothing's about to happen, but just make them concerned, right? Like it doesn't. Like there's all those things. So um, the way we're gonna do it for uh, the actual play is that uh, the GM will just throw everything, right? So it'll be like, I'll, I'll, I'll have the printout here, I'll have the chits here, and I'll just toss for everybody. Um, which is what I would encourage people to consider for this. Um, and then we may end up coming up with a tabletop simulator version of it. We'll have to just mess around with the physics of it a little bit to see if we can get it right. Um, but if not, I would just say we could also use the dice accessibility rules that we're creating to deal with remote play also too. Just roll a D6, roll a D8, um, and we'll see what that comes comes out to. And so, um, you know, um, we we do most of our remote playing uh, for our streams. We just let people roll dice. We don't care, you know. Okay. Like if if they're if they really want to lie because it's going to make their their play experience better about what they roll. That's like that's fine, you know. And when I say they, I mean me. Um, so, <laughs> um, the uh, no, but I mean like you you, you know we've just if somebody says we're going to use roll twenty, I'm like you know the GM of whoever we're hosting. Great. If if they don't, I'm just like yeah, we'll just roll. It's fine. Like we don't need an online tool. That's, um, right, cool. And so same kind of thing. We'll we'll do the same stuff, but it'll be an overhead shot of the of the heap. So when I'm when I'm flopping, it'll actually be able to say like, all right, move your hand this way, move your hand that way. Like they can count me down. Like they can essentially control me remotely to do the flop or the fling or whatever they want to. Okay. Um, and um, that'll that'll be a lot of how we we do remote play for the the actual plays. That is just brilliant. That is just great. Okay, so. What's next? What's coming next uh, after Repug finish and, and goes out to all these people that are going to have trash heaps on their table? Uh, what's coming next from from Tony and Terrible Games? Uh, so Terrible Games is John Plus One EXP is oh. is my company. That's which is fine. This is a partnership between the two the two companies, but it is thematically it fit Terrible Games profile a whole lot more. Um, we'll still have it on our site. It'll be available, um, but. Um, I do. I can tell you what's up next for Terrible Games. I do. I do know that. I do know that Black Mold is coming, uh, which is a, a tabletop game where one of the mechanics is you're, you're you're all prisoners caught in this dark prison that's been infested with this mold that's slowly taking people over, uh, and and taking over their minds and killing them, uh, and you have to escape from the the lowest level of this dungeon to the surface. There's a couple different characters, all have different hit points, but you can play as long as you want. You can you can spam through your hand as much as you want to trying to escape. Um, as far as laying down new sections of the board and other stuff like that, it's a, it's a card management game. But you have to hold your breath while you're doing it. And as soon as you take a breath, you stop because you can't breathe 
in the black mold. And so um, there are certain things that will protect you from that, uh, torches and fires. So that is that is what's coming next for Terrible Game. John's also working on season two of his uh, his flagship game, Token Tears. Um, so that's Terrible Games, plus 1 EXP. Um, we're a weird little brand that multi-classes in tabletop game design, beard and skin care alchemy, and the Bardic College of Content Creation. So um, we make beard balls. The next couple of weeks uh, after we do this, we'll actually be featuring getting the, a lot of the rest of our lineup out. So our lip balms mm. uh, and some of our other products will launch shortly after that. They're all inspired by culture. All of the money goes, goes back into paying our staff to create content, uh, first and foremost, because we're not paying our editing cur editor currently, except for what we make from that. And so that's that's kind of first and foremost. Um, but uh, a lot of that's to promote small indie tabletop games. And so we'll continue to create content for that, continue to explore that. Um, and then my first game, Beards and Beyond, that we funded last year, um, uh, which is a beard, the, the, the hairiest RPG in the world. It's the, it's the, you know, <laughs> the world's only beard-based role-playing game. Um, uh, it goes to retail this week. It's going out to backers this week. Also, you can find it at plus one exp.com, but we're going to be working on a 12 adventure anthology book that helps that be one to two page adventures with creators from all around the globe, uh, contributing, you know, an adventure to each. So we've got some in Brazil, some in Sweden, some here in the U S um, uh, John actually did one of the dungeon drawings for the one that I drew. So it's another collaboration between um, uh, them and us. Uh, but we'll be producing some more content for that. And then later on this year, um, we'll be taking our flagship or one of our flagship games that is actually a improv brand building game called Brand Standing back to Kickstarter, hopefully to actually fund this time because it was our first project. Uh, we did not succeed, um, but it is a phenomenal um, game where you build a fake brand and then pitch it for over a few rounds for funding, but you're pitching a different part of the brand as you build it every single round um, and investing okay. in secret in your in the other players. Um, and you can either win by um, getting the most money or being the person who invests the most in the winning brand. And so um, and that if you can see that red box over my shoulder right there, yeah, uh, that's that's brand standing. Right. <laughs> right. Not. So, OK. Yeah. Well, Tony, we really appreciate you coming on talking about repugnant talking about everything that you got going on talking about plus one plus one exp um and and beard and beard stuff so we'll have to yeah. <laughs> have to be checking that out yeah i mean uh, you guys both certainly qualify the, <laughs> the game is really beards and beyond is really like for people who have beards it's basically everyday life you're doing amazing heroic <laughs> things across the multiverse saving humanity from existential evil it's what we it's what well, we all do day every day, day. Yeah. um for unbearded people it's a chance to experience the fullness of bearded life uh, without having to put in the work that goes behind growing a beard and so um yeah uh plus one exp.com is where you can find all of that right on uh when does uh repugnant go live for those of you out there yeah, Repugnant goes live on the 15th, um, so next Monday at the time of this recording. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, you got us uh, locked and loaded and ready to power. So appreciate yeah. you hopping on, and we'll, uh, we'll be ready on Monday the 15th to back Repugnant. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, thank you hey, for being here. Hey, thanks for coming on, Tony. Take it easy. Yeah. And that will finish out episode two of our Feast of Zines. On part three, we've got Adventures for the Taking, a magical cookbook to give your next dinner some real zing and some sexy mech action. Now, go back some zines. <laughs> <laughs>